Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Sound Medicine Podcast. I'm Barbara Lewis. One of the things I've learned in the years that I've been reporting on health and medicine is that I could fill a library with books about dealing with cancer. And when it comes to memoirs about cancer, some of them can tend towards the sentimental. But my guest today is not sentimental about her cancer, not by a long shot. It was not some adorable romp through cancer town where, you know, I, I had my lipstick perfect the whole time. Like it was kind of a hot mess. And cancer is kind of a hot mess. Mary Elizabeth Williams is a journalist who was diagnosed with stage 4 melanoma in her early 40s. She became one of the very first patients to enroll in a clinical trial for the first immunotherapy drug. And she says it's science that saved her life, not prayer or determination or grit, science, immunotherapy to be specific. It's incredible how quickly it's it's all changed. I mean, five years ago, which is right around the, almost exactly the time that um, that the first immunotherapy for melanoma was approved by the FDA, to go from it being almost unheard of to now on the cover of Time Magazine, now the Sean Parker Institute just not too long ago gave $250 million towards the development of, of immunotherapy. You know, hearing Joe Biden talking about immunotherapy as part of this cancer moonshot. It's, it's kind of amazing how quickly the conversation around cancer and cancer treatment has, has changed. And to have been there from, you know, a very early part in that story is, is really mind-blowing for me. Yeah. You know, the, the talk has been intense. And, and like you said, the money, um, the funding ha- has been intense. But have we made really a lot of inroads in terms of, of the success of, of immunotherapy? Well, a lot changed just since since the point where where the first immunotherapy drug was was approved just a, a few years ago. I think absolutely. Is it is it the you know the magic bullet? There isn't going to be a magic bullet. There's never going to be one magical thing that ends cancer as we know it. It's going to be combinations of treatments. It's going to be reaching from from what we know from the past, from chemo, from radiation, from surgery, but then also incorporating in new things like immunotherapy and also, you know, figuring out how we can how we can predict who's going to get cancer and how we can prevent cancer. Um, but, you know, I've seen, 
the success rates changing in just in just a few years. When I got into my clinical trial, I got into it with one drug that had about a 30% success rate. And I remember my oncologist saying, well, you know, with your kind of cancer, that's a home run. And now people getting immunotherapy for my kind of cancer, I think, have much, much higher odds than they would have just just a few years ago. So things are changing. It's becoming more, you know, the treatment is becoming more subtle and it's becoming, um, it's just becoming more refined and figuring out who is going to respond to immunotherapy, I think, is also getting better. And you were dealing with a real aggressive form of, of, of melanoma. Uh, tell me a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, my cancer was not messing around. I had metastatic melanoma. Um, I had been diagnosed a year before and had surgery, and then uh, the cancer moved into my lung, which is very bad, and then it also moved into my soft tissue, which is even more bad. And, uh, you know, the, the traditional problem with metastatic melanoma is that it is very aggressive, it is very fast-moving, and it tends to be very unpredictable in where it moves. It tends to move into places in the body that um, other forms of cancer don't. Uh, and my doctor has said, sat next to me uh, on panels and said that, you know, just a few years ago, the average outcome for, for patients with what I had would be about seven months. But you were in kind of the, the center of the, the immunotherapy universe, you know, M- Memorial Sloan Kettering. Um, when did that treatment kind of enter the picture for you then? I just got so crazy, crazy lucky because ipilimumab, which is known by the brand name Your Voy, was approved by the FDA in the spring of 2011. I was re-diagnosed five months later with metastatic melanoma, and I was a patient at Memorial Sloan Kettering, and my oncologist recommended to me that uh, I might be eligible for a very new clinical trial, which was combining that approved drug with a brand new drug that would do basically the same kind of thing that was with an immunotherapy drug. Um, and so I was one of the first dozen patients to become involved in this. The drugs that Williams was given were ipilimumab and nivolumab. They are what are called checkpoint inhibitors. Last October, the FDA approved them as the first immunotherapy protocol. There are different forms of immunotherapy. Um, what What all immunotherapies have in common is that rather than going after your cancer cells, rather than trying to attack cancer in the ways that surgery and chemo and radiation do, what it does instead is it targets your own body's immune system. And what it does is it tries to get your body to recognize the cancer cells and to destroy them. And there are different ways of doing that. And the way that checkpoint inhibitors work is they basically turn off the breaking system in your T cells. Um, your T cells, you know, obviously your immune system, it's, it's whole purpose in life is checkpoints. It's to it's to go after the things that are bad, but not go after the things that you need to stay healthy. And when your immune system has an extreme response, you get very sick as well. So what the, the delicate conundrum of, of checkpoint inhibitors and of immunotherapy in general is figuring out a way to activate the immune system to recognize cancer cells 
and only cancer cells and attack your cancer cells. And the way that um, checkpoint inhibitors do it is by basically turning, there's a little breaking system, a little because your cells are little, but there's a breaking system on your T cells. Um, and when that is taken off, basically what it does is it's, it's kind of like taking off the, the blindfolds um, and then it can it recognizes your cancer cells. That's the hope. That's what it does for people like me. It doesn't do it for everybody. It doesn't work for everybody. But it, it works for a lot of us, and it's working for increasingly more of us. So what was the treatment like? I mean, we're familiar with chemotherapy, but was it an infusion? I mean, what, what did you have to do, and, and, and how did you respond in terms of just physical symptoms? Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because I think chemo has become a shorthand for cancer treatment. And I've even had oncologists, I've had cancer doctors say, oh, well, when you did your chemo, and I'll, I'll say, no, I did immunotherapy, and it's, oh, it's just, it's all cancer treatment, and it's not, this is, it's different, it looks like chemo, I would go into a chemo suite, um, and I would sit in a chair, and I would have infusions, and because I was on two drugs, I would have one infusion of one drug, and then I would get an infusion of the second drug, but what is different about immunotherapy is it's, it's, it just operates on a completely different platform in your body. So you don't lose your hair. You don't experience nausea. You don't get any of the side effects of chemo because it's not chemo. Um, you do, however, have immune system responses, and for some people they can be very severe. Um, some people experience colitis. Um, I experienced fatigue. I, uh, you know, I definitely had, um, I got a rash. Um, the, my sense of taste changed um, kind of permanently, not not to the detriment of my enjoying food, but it did change my sense of taste. And, and my doctors think it's because it, it changed something in my salivary glands. Um, so stuff like that. Mostly what I experienced was fatigue. Um, but it was very, it was a very different kind of experience than, than what I've seen my friends who went through chemo, especially really hardcore chemo, go through. Um, it was, it was not debilitating. I trained for and ran my first marathon while I was in treatment. Um, you know, I did, um, very early on in the treatment, I had, a, I had kind of a, an immune system event and I had a very high fever that spiked for about a day. Um, and that was, um, you know, that's fairly typical. But I was always able to tolerate it. And the other incredible thing is that it started working within days. I could see it working within days. I could feel it working within days. Really? Tell me about that. Yeah, I had, well, I had a visible tumor um, under my skin on my back that was um, two and a half centimeters. And it was dark and it was, you know, painful. It was sore. Uh, and within days of my first treatment, I, I thought I must be hallucinating because I could see it getting smaller. I could see it shrinking. And by the time I went for my next infusion, a short time later, um, I said to my doctor, I, I know this is nuts, but I really think maybe this tumor is subsiding. And I could feel it like it wasn't as sore, it wasn't as painful, the color was changing, um, and it was a good... Um, it was a good indicator of what was going on in my lungs as well, as it turned out. And 12 weeks into the trial, I had my first set of scans, and I was cancer-free. I've been cancer-free for four years. How, how are you feeling now? Just You mentioned that the taste buds are a little off. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but, <laughs> yeah, but that does sound, sounds like a, you know, that, that sounds like something you can work with. <laughs> 
I can I can work with it. I can still enjoy a glass of wine, so everything's fine. Um, other than that, yeah, I mean, I just have all the the normal kinds of things when you you know it's flu season and you get the flu, or you know you're four years older and you need to up your um, eyeglasses prescription. But um, but in terms of cancer, uh, I seem to be done with melanoma, and I honestly believe I will continue to be done with melanoma because the thing about the human immune system, and I think the great promise and excitement around treatment like immunotherapy as opposed to other conventional treatments is I don't feel like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop anymore. I don't feel like I'm waiting for recurrence. And when I have friends, I have a dear friend who is on her fourth occurrence of ovarian cancer right now. So to even have a moment of, well, I'm I'm cancer-free, but how long is it going to last? is terrifying for patients. It's terrifying to feel like you've always got that sort of Damocles hanging over you. And I don't feel that way. I feel like my cancer was treated and my cancer is in the past. How do the researchers feel about it? I'm wondering, because you've had such a wonderful response, right? I mean, are you, are you being, are they, they not necessarily following you? I'm asking you <laughs> to do, do a blood test every week, but I mean, I would imagine that they're, they're very interested. Well, they kind of do because I was in a research trial. So my, you know, my relationship with this trial is that, um, is that as long as I am willing, I will be tracked for the rest of my life and I will be followed up for the rest of my life. So yeah, there's that. Um, so I am, I remain interesting to, to medical science and, um, you know, I've had, because one of my drugs had already been approved, there are people who have been successful with immunotherapy before me. There aren't that many, but there are success stories of people who are a few years further out than I am. And the, you know, the hope and the promise and the evidence so far seems to be that if you, if you make it two years, I had one doctor say, you know, most people who make it two years, it looks like it's holding and it looks like it's not coming back. Um, so, and I'm four years now, so, so far so good. That's Mary Elizabeth Williams. Her new book is A Series of Catastrophes and Miracles, a true story of love, science, and cancer. We'll take a break, and we'll be back with more in a moment. You're listening to the Sound Medicine Podcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back. I'm Barbara Lewis. I'm speaking with Mary Elizabeth Williams about her new book. It traces her experience as one of the first patients in the clinical trials that led to the first immunotherapy protocol to treat cancer. Doctors tell her she is now cancer-free. Williams is a writer whose work has appeared in Salon plus the New York Times. There, she contributed an essay for its Modern Love column. She wrote about reuniting with her husband after they had divorced, a reunion that came just weeks before she learned she had melanoma. The essay's title was... A Second Embrace with Hearts Open. Yeah. And it was really, it was about your your relationship with your, your husband, which was... Um, had been off again, <laughs> you had been divorced, <laughs> and you were just getting back together, and it was supposed to be this wonderful time um, of rediscovery, and bam. Yeah, that was the plan, and then uh, and then a few things came along to kind of change that in very rapid succession. Um, yeah, it was not the most, um, you know, it turned out not to be the sexiest time in my life, but it was in many ways, um, I think, it, it was more loving than I could have ever imagined. Yeah. And you have two girls. Mm-hmm. Two daughters. And how how has this all changed you? And I realize that I just asked you the typical cliche <laughs> that you have totally avoided in your book, but here it goes. I might as well be the first one. To... <laughs> I should probably get used to it, right? Right, I'm, right. I, all right. No, that's great. I mean, of course, you have to think about how it how it changes you. Um, you know, it's funny. I was having a conversation yesterday with a friend who um, who is my age and who three years ago was very suddenly widowed, and and we were talking about these things and we were talking about how you know when you kind of recognize that look in someone else, and then when you talk to people who haven't been through really serious events in their lives and they just on some level you just can't connect with them in the same way. Um, you know, I would love to not be able to connect with people who've had devastating illnesses and experienced terrible grief. Um, but here I am. And uh, and so I hope that what I can get from that is is some sort of sense of, of compassion and empathy and appreciation of, of what other people's private struggles are and what they go through. Um, you know, I'm not the sort of person who's like, well, now suddenly I realize that life is precious and I have to smell the roses. Like, I always kind of knew that life is precious and enjoyed my life and smelled the roses. But, um, but what I hope is it gives me a, a, a deepened sense of kindness. And I definitely see that in my, in my daughters, particularly. I see what generous young ladies they are turning out to be. And I see how, how capable they are of, of listening compassionately to other people and how good they are at being good friends and how they prioritize being a good friend. Uh, and that is, you know, one of the better things to come out of a really not good situation. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that maybe they learned that lesson from their mother watching you go through your um, friendships with people who didn't make it. Yeah, and seeing, you know, friends of ours, because we were all in a support group, um, you know, seeing friends of theirs lose their mothers, um, seeing friends of of theirs go through really hard times. And then also, I think, just being called upon to step up. You know, it's not just, we don't just model for our kids. We then you know, ask them what they can do and, and seeing how kind my, my daughters were to their grandmother when their grandfather died, um, you know, has been really, really touching to me and really inspiring. And, uh, you know, I mean, people love to kind of rag on the kids these days. And I look at my, you know, my 16-year-old and my 12-year-old and I think, and I look at the other kids in our support group and I think, 
they're awesome people. They're amazing people who I think are going to go on and do good in the world because they have learned it and they have learned it through through hard experiences. But, you know, how wonderful to come out of that and, and have a heart and have kindness and have generosity. Yeah. And your book was really lovely and real. You know, I mean, just, just, just absolutely real. I was wondering what you wanted to do with this memoir. I mean, when you, when you embarked on it, you know, when you started to write it, um, what was kind of the, the goal or the, the motivation and, and do you feel like you, you, you did it? Well, that's, that's a, a big question. It is. Um, is it so easy to ask? <laughs> no, I'll, 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 I'll break it down. Um, I, you know, I think a big part of it was after I got cancer the first time, I, as I think any newcomer to a new land, I, I was looking around at the literature and I was trying to find other stories and other books. And a lot of what I found was really kind of um, super upbeat and inspirational and courageous. And, and I just thought, I'm not really relating to this. I mean, I'm really kind of not. I, I felt like I'm not some brave warrior just because I got sick and, and maybe I didn't do this in the, you know, in the most, um, spunky, upbeat, cheerful way possible. And I wanted to tell a story that was, that was a little more gritty and real and say, you know, I had really bad days and I went through really hard times and, and I tried to keep my sense of humor and I tried to keep my heart open. Um, but I, it was not, some, you know, adorable romp through Cancer Town where, you know, I, I had my lipstick perfect the whole time. Like, it was kind of a, a hot mess, and cancer is kind of a hot mess. And, and I wanted to tell that. And then I was really excited um, to be one of the first people who could talk about this breakthrough that I really do believe is changing the conversation about cancer treatment. And I wanted to tell people about about clinical trials and about immunotherapy and about the options that are out there for us now that we never had before because that's thrilling to me. Um, so that was it. And then, you know, ultimately I think my goal was I wanted to do right by the people I was writing about. I wanted to, I wanted to tell their stories in a way that I hope was, had integrity and honesty. And, uh, you know, I did, I did my best. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that all, that all shakes out. But that was a priority for me for sure. You you write in 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 your book about the odds that you made it, kind of that why, and the answer being because, um, and then you're coming to terms with some of your friends that um, you know didn't respond to their treatments and and have died, and and here you are. I was just wondering now that you're talking about this a lot you know, as the book comes out. Um, do you still have a little bit of that survivor's guilt that I detected in the book? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, after I had turned in the book and while it was in edits um, a couple of months ago, a friend of mine died. Um, she had the same kind of cancer I did. She had the same medical team I did. She was starting on the same protocol, and, and she didn't make it. And she was 25, and she just passed the bar. And, and it was right, at, right around the same time that Jimmy Carter was announcing his tremendous response to immunotherapy. So here's this 91-year-old who has this fantastic response, and here's a 25-year-old healthy young woman with her whole life in front of her who dies of, you know, who had metastatic melanoma. Um, so it's hard not to, not to see the, um, 
you know, just kind of the unfairness in cancer and the fact that it doesn't seem to really um, pay attention to how much of a future you have or how many things you have to live for. So, yeah, I do still struggle with it. I do. How can I not when I look at my friend's children who don't have a mom anymore? How can I not feel a sense of I don't understand the universe? I don't understand why it works out this way for people. Um, but, you know, so then I just kind of say, well, you know, it's not... It's not fair that bad things happen. It's not fair that good things happen. That's just kind of the way that life pans out. And and all I can try to do with the time that I have been given is to try to live as fully and kindly and compassionately as I can because that's all I've got. That's all I can do is try to make something good out of something terrible. And I know that, you know, after my, my, my husband died of cancer, one of um, my friends that also had a, you know, a, his wife died of, of breast cancer said, he says, you're not going to believe this at the second. He said, you will just be so excited to hear a success story. It'll be the <laughs> thing that warms your heart, you know, and you think you're going to feel like somehow you got cheated, right? You know, uh, yeah. when you hear about somebody else's success story. So I suspect that there's a, there's a, a, a bunch of us um, out there that, that, you know, had a loved one that wasn't so lucky that will be absolutely cheering you on and uh, oh, celebrating, celebrating with you. I was just wondering too, is when you look back on this whole experience and you've had time to reflect uh, on it, you know, I'm sure through many, many edits, um, what do you kind of marvel at? It's, you know, when you look at your, 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 your yourself, you know, going through all this <laughs> and, and you look back and you think, Oh my gosh, you know, I mean, I, 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 I survived this. I think what I marvel at is how in the, in the midst of, of spectacular disasters, like when you're really in the middle of it, you just kind of have to keep going anyway because the world keeps turning. And I think anyone who's had an experience of, of devastating grief or just something that really appends your life physically, emotionally, um, the way that you just kind of still show up for your job, you still wash your kids' clothes, you still put on your pants in the morning, most mornings, and, and get stuff done, the stuff that needs to get done of life, um, that's really um, amazing to me. It's amazing to me what we can do in the darkest, most devastating moments of our lives. And then when I have a day that's just kind of a little hard and I feel like, oh, I just don't want to cook tonight. I think you, know, you did it when you had stage four cancer and you were like feeling horrible. You can, you can make it through this, you know? That's, I think, what I kind of marvel. I marvel at our, at the human spirit, the ability to do the ordinary in really intense, devastating moments. Well, Mary Elizabeth Williams, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and it was a pleasure reading your book. Thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, thank you. It was a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much. Mary Elizabeth Williams' new book is a series of catastrophes and miracles. She's recording that essay that she wrote about reconnecting with her husband. It'll be on an upcoming Modern Love podcast. If you subscribe to the online version of the New York Times, it'll be really easy to find. And if you like what you're hearing here on Sound Medicine, please share it with your friends. They can subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. 
Sound Medicine is produced by Nora Hyatt, engineered by Chris Lieber, and we have support from the IU School of Medicine. We'll be back in a few weeks with another episode. I'm Barbara Lewis. Take care. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.